Hey, what's up, Warrior? It is Jeff from WarriorLife.com. Welcome to podcast episode number 393. And guess what? I'm about to make your bug out bag just a wee bit lighter today. You're welcome. Let's talk tactics. Tactical firearms training. Urban survival. Close quarters combat. Welcome to the show that helps you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is the Warrior Life Podcast. Hey, all right, welcome back. This is Jeff Anderson, Executive Director of WarriorLife.com and the Warrior Life Academy. And hey, before we get started, I want to give a quick shout out to Run Till Tranquil, who had this to say about our podcast over there on the interwebs said, this show helps think through the major scenarios that could challenge any family leader and makes practical, actionable recommendations to prepare for the worst. Eh, try. Give it a try. So uh, thanks, Run Till Tranquil. Uh, listen, if you guys are loving our podcast, um, I want to I give you a shout out too. So please go on over and leave us a badass five-star review wherever you are listening to your podcast. You know, with all the shutdowns that are happening and all these channels being taken away. I mean, it helps to get the word out there. So help us get the message out to others that are out there. Go leave us a five-star review and leave some comments there. I'd love to give you a shout out on our podcast too. You can find us and subscribe to our channel over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you are listening to your podcasts. Okay. So as a veteran light infantryman, let me tell you a little bit about road marches. They are pretty damn grueling. But sometimes your, your LPCs, your leather personnel carriers, might be the only transportation that you have when you're just a, a leg infantry soldier like I was. I wasn't airborne or anything like that. Jump out of perfectly good planes. I had my boots. And when you're marching, it's... You walk and you walk, getting to your objective. And it's typically with about a 35-pound rucksack. It's filled with all of your gear. And for, for some people, it was even more than that. Like, like if you had to carry a radio with you, and back then those were gigantic bricks of radio, like cement blocks of radios. And if you were like a 60-gunner and you might have been the knucklehead that had to carry the extra barrel and all the ammo – and eventually, on those road marches, you start seeing guys dropping back as they, they start to move slower and slower, and they're struggling to keep their place in the formation, and they're doing the best they can, but you, you can just see the pain in their face, especially when they're, they're, like they're walking hunched over like they're, like they're Quasimodo, because they've probably packed way too much inside of their bag. And this one road march, well, that guy was Costello. Now, Costello was not like one of those hard-charging Rambo-like soldiers. He was one of those join the army or go to jail soldiers. Like literally, he was told join the army or go to jail. You know, give us your finest. I mean, he he had a loud mouth. He had low standards. He really didn't give a shit about anyone or anything. Now, I was a I was a dumbass private at the same time that he was. And we were out on road march, and this was actually one of our very first road marches at our first duty station. But my squad leader was hard as nails. And he always made sure that, like, he gave me guidance. He, he showed me the right way to pack. 
He made sure we had a packing list. Like we knew what we were taking and we weren't taking anything extra. And the reason for that is you don't want to be the one who wusses out of the march on the way to your objective. That will not be one of Sergeant Brown's soldiers. Now, Costello's sergeant, well, let's just say that his standards weren't really all that high. And so Costello found himself getting passed by one by one in that road march. And it took my sergeant, Staff Sergeant Kendall Ray Brown, to pick up the slack. Now, fortunately, we were stopping for a break just about when Costello had fallen from way up front back to my position in line. And I could see on his face that he was about ready to make that embarrassing signal of just giving up and then jumping in the back of the Humvee that always trailed in the back there to pick up all the slackers who couldn't make it. And that is an embarrassing trip. It's embarrassing for you. It's embarrassing for your squad. It's embarrassing for your platoon. You do not want to be the person that gets in the back of that Humvee. And Sergeant Brown was not going to let that happen. And here he was coming. And I knew that look because I'd been in those crosshairs in the past myself. And even Costello's squad leader, I remember even he wasn't going to get in the way of Sergeant Brown. He took one look at Costello's rucksack. He could tell it was loaded with a bunch of bullshit that was not on the packing list. If you remember, it like, kind of looks like one of the, like Santa's bags, right? Like from, from Christmas. It was, it, it was huge. It was obviously like he had way too much stuff in there. And so Sergeant Brown didn't waste any time because we, we only had a few minutes before break was going to be over and we had to start hoofing it back on the trail again. So he opened up the top of Costello's bag and he just started ripping stuff out. It, like, you know, those, um, like when you're a kid and you went to the circus and they had those clown cars where, you know, it's like a tiny car, but somehow the clowns just keep coming out and you're wondering where are all these clowns coming from, right? That was Costello's bag. And Sergeant Brown was just flinging all sorts of things all over the place. There was extra, an extra, extra set of BDUs, like a can of SpaghettiOs. I remember beanie weenies flying out of there. He had a, he had a Walkman radio. For those of you that don't know what a Walkman radio is, it's the, the equivalent of like a, a cement block that we used to use to, to listen to music. <laughs> so, uh, uh, this, I just remember this vividly and, and Sergeant Brown was just, he was cussing and he was calling Costello a dirt bag because Costello was a dirt bag. And when he was all done ditching all that worthless gear out in the open, Sergeant Brown kicked Costello's sorry ass right back up to the front of the line before we got started. And he told him he better not get back to our squad's area the rest of the way on the way to, to the objective. And we didn't see him again. Like he did stay up front. His bag was lighter and he had the fear of God put in him. So we didn't see him fall back there. And all that extra stuff that stayed right there next to the road where it fell. Nobody was going to challenge him. He was going to, Costello was going to just have to buy new BDUs. And Costello isn't alone in this mistake. In fact, in survival now, whenever I'm coaching clients, or if even if I just I see preppers posting pictures of their bug out bag dumps in social media that like these pictures that show off all that tactical survival gear that they've they've loaded up with. And I've done reviews of these bags with my clients online and I get it. You, you don't want to be without all that fancy gear that you bought and 
it may not even be all that heavy when you put it on for like that one and a half minutes that you strapped it on so you could look at yourself in the mirror and see how badass you are. But here's the hard lesson every soldier has had to learn at some point. If the only thing getting you and your gear to your objective is your feet, your back, your shoulders, your body, it doesn't take you long to realize that the weight of your pack in the barracks does not equal how the pack feels about five miles into the forest or the desert or out on the road there. And over a short time, ounces feel like pounds and you will suffer. Your feet are going to suffer. Your back's going to suffer. You are going to feel that pain. Now, most likely you're not going to be wandering off into the wasteland with your bug out bag and your crossbow rifle ready to go like build a new colony to repopulate the earth after the apocalypse. But even if it's a short time where let's say you have to haul your bug out bag from your vehicle to maybe like a more remote area where you're going to be setting up camp for a night, or if you have to abandon your vehicle during an evacuation because maybe it broke down, you just can't go any further there. The less weight that you pack now could be the several pounds of weight that you would have on your back that could be causing you to travel slower. It's going to decrease your mobility. You risk an injury or you might not even just get there at all. And with all the picks that I've seen and all the bug out bag reviews that I've done, there are five common items that I see nearly everyone packing away that you should get rid of right now and swap out for a better option. So let me take a little load off your back here. And I'm going to start with number one, which is your choice of survival food. So of course you want to have some food with you. It's good to have about 72 hours of food. That's kind of the standard that everybody goes by. And I've seen everything in these bug out bag dumps from canned goods, um, especially things like canned sardines. And I've seen bags and bags and bags of jerky out there. Now, canned goods are obviously too heavy. You have the metal of the cans and you have the contents in there, which are typically, you know, there's, there's something in there that's going to be wet and water is heavy. Uh, jerky isn't all that bad. It is dehydrated, you know, but if water resources are low, it could dehydrate you faster. So I would see people eating beef, beef jerky, like in road marches, and it does make you feel fuller and it does have sodium in it. Um, I don't recommend things with sodium nitrate. So you want to leave, I mean, if do, if you do use jerky, um, you don't want sodium nitrate in it because sodium nitrate depletes oxygen in your body. So that's not anything that you want to have out there. Um, but the sodium can recon uh, can give you some back some of those electrolytes that you are losing maybe by walking a lot. We, but that's only if you have access to a good water supply. If you don't have a good get access to good water supply, I would not use something like uh, beef jerky because it's deceptive. You're going to eat it; it's going to fill you up, but it's going to make you thirstier eventually. But it's also going to absorb the the liquid in your body. So if you have been drinking water, it's going to absorb that, and you're not going to get it to where you need it in your body fast enough. So jerky, I'm not a big fan of for those reasons. But the biggie that I see most people go to here when it comes to survival food that I'm going to say you need to swap this out are MREs. And I get it. Like everybody wants to feel like a soldier and, you know, preppers are tactical and they're, they're going to carry MREs just like soldiers do. Right. I can tell you, we didn't, we didn't even carry them in the army. Like we oftentimes didn't. Sometimes we did. I mean, we had to, we'd have that there. But if, if we were planning ahead, we didn't bring it because MREs are heavy. 
They come in a, a thick plastic uh, bag because they have they're designed to to really they're in mylar pouches and you have the, the bag. They're meant to last a long time because they're they're going to be in storage for a while. They've got to travel all around the planet, so um, they 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 tend to be heavy. Most of the stuff inside of them tastes like shit, and there's always like a packet of of a two or something that you absolutely do not want to eat unless you have to. And they only last up to about five years or so, even with all that packing. So it's, it's really not the set it and forget it type of survival food choice that you should really be looking at anyway. So your better option here is to go with freeze dried survival food. These things have come a long way since back in the day. And freeze drying takes out nearly 100% of the moisture out of the foods. And MREs, a lot of them are already in a form that they're not like they're, you don't add water to them. They're already, they already have the moisture in them. So that is weight. A gallon of water is eight pounds. Now you may not think that the moisture in food adds up to all that much, but remember ounces become pounds as those miles stack up. So you have to be very conscious about the food that you are packing away. Freeze-dried survival food doesn't have that moisture. You have to reconstitute it with other with water. But it's not like jerky where you're just eating it and then it's absorbing water inside your body. So you can make meals with it. And they've gotten a lot more affordable these days and they are super light. And I carry three days worth in just one eight-inch pouch on my bug out bag. That's it. Two days are inside there and my stove. So that's how much, how little room they take up as opposed to three days of MREs is going to take up way too much room. In the military, we, we brought a lot of ramen with us out to the field, super lightweight. And um, that's probably a topic for another day. But item number two that I see everybody packing in that they should not be is a sleeping bag. And, you know, in light infantry, especially when I was in long range reconnaissance, we had a, a saying, it was travel light, freeze at night. Because we we would oftentimes have to travel long distances. And, I mean, our sleeping bags were military gear. They were military property. So if, if we left it by the side of the road, we were going to have to pay quite a bit of money to, to get another one. So it's always better just to kind of plan ahead. And... Sleeping bags are, they take up way too much room inside of a bag and they are extra weight that you don't need. So a lot of times in the military, all we ever used was a military poncho and a poncho liner. And those two go together. One is like a, like a small, like a quilt, the poncho liner is, and then the poncho is the mil, it's for, you know, it's rain gear. And that's what, that's what we would use. And when you tie those two together and you wrap it around you, that's all you really need. It keeps you, it keeps you dry if it's raining, and then there is that other layer there. And in extreme cold weather, which, you know, 10th Mountain Division, I mean, there were times it was super cold, but sometimes that was what we used. Like, we, like two people would wrap around in a poncho or poncho liner. We didn't even have time to necessarily even make a shelter because sometimes we were we were up and about and, and just going, but you had to stay warm along the way. And that's all we really use sometimes. Now, technology has come a long way here. And so what I recommend you put inside of your bag instead of the sleeping bag is a tact bivy. So this is a Mylar sleeping bag. Um, I'm sure you've seen them out there. They roll up to something just about the size, even less than maybe like the size of your fist. And they are, they come in like green and orange and it has that Mylar lining on the inside that's going to reflect back your body heat. 
and these will go down to extremely low temperatures. And I can tell you that I, this is all I pack inside of my bug out bag, along with, and I will add this to it, a thin sleeping bag liner. This is a small, I mean, a, a thin, um, you can get them in wool, you can get them in cotton. I prefer wool. But this is something that you just kind of slip inside of that Mylar bag because that's going to help absorb the moisture because those Mylar, the tack bivvies don't, they don't absorb moisture. Um, there are ways to mitigate that, that moisture inside of the bag by keeping a hole open down at the bottom and you can kind of bellows, you know, air in or out depending upon, you know, you can kind of let the, the moist air out. But that's a kind of a manual thing. So it's better if you want to get like more sleep time, I recommend having like a sleeping bag liner that you can put inside of there. It's going to absorb some of the moisture in there and you'll get a better night's sleep. But those are the only things that I need. And guess what? Both of them fit right inside of one of my eight inch pouches of my X-Bob backpack. Nice and neat and tidy. All right. Item number three here that I see everyone packing away is some sort of like a, like a hatchet or an ax or a, like a tactical tomahawk. And obviously these are being packed away for cutting up wood, but what are you going to be cutting? I mean, we, I can tell you, we never had fires in the military. You don't make a fire. It's not allowed. The, the enemy can see a fire from miles away and they can smell one even if they can't see it. In a survival scenario, people could be one of your biggest threats. And I'm not, I'm not talking about like the Walking Dead marauder squads that are going to you know, come and make wives of your children. I'm talking about just like regular schmoes who might be out and about. They aren't as prepared as you are, but they smell a fire or they see a fire and they connect fire with food. Well, I mean, just like moths to a flame, like people are going to be attracted to those fires and they are going to ask you for supplies. And if you say no, which I know you're going to, then they're going to beg you for supplies. As I say, asking turns to begging, begging turns to demanding and demanding turns to taking potentially by force. So you don't need a hatchet. You don't need an ax. You don't need a tomahawk. You should swap this out. All I ever carry is my machete and a very small fixed blade knife that's on my belt. So I use my guardian machete because that's, or, I mean, it's the only urban survival machete that I know of. Like our guardian machete will cut through steel. So I'll, this thing will make, you know, it'll make pulp of wood if I ever needed it, but I'm not making fires anyway, but it can do anything that an ax can. It can do anything that a knife can, a large knife or even a small knife. Plus it's a great weapon if you need it for a weapon, both a lethal weapon if needed, but also you spin that thing around and use the spine of it. It's a non-lethal weapon. Very intimidating, very effective. All right. Item number four is a tent. So unpacking, I know like a bulky tent is kind of a no brainer. So it's, it, a tent is not actually the item that I see a lot of people doing because most people are not kind of carrying a tent. But I do see a lot of people thinking that they're trimming down the weight by adding in a tarp instead of a tent. And tarps are, you know, I mean, I get it. They're thick. They're, they're, they are, um, they're durable, but they're heavy and they're bulky and they're noisy. And those are three things that I don't want in a situation where I'm carrying my shelter with me and I may be trying not to be found. So again, 
all we ever used in the military was a good quality poncho. And I mean a good quality poncho. Like this is one of the things that even though it's going to cost you more, even just going to like an, an army Navy store and getting a military issue poncho is going to be better than those pieces of crap that they sell out on the internet for, you know, cheap ponchos that you can use for, you know, for emergency purposes when it's raining. Get a good poncho because we're talking about using this as a shelter and that's all we use. That and a few bungee cords, you are good to go. That's it. And I actually carry two ponchos with me and all the cords and guess what? They fit inside of one of my eight inch pouches on my X-Bob backpack. Imagine that. All right, fifth and final item here that I see a lot of people uh, doing is is a water bottle. So yes, you have to have water. But one thing that I always hated when I was all decked out with like we had our, our tactical load bearing vests on, we had you know canteens on our belt, and those canteens were flopping all over the place. And I've seen people do things like they've taken like water bottles and they de-ring them. They take like the de-ring and put it through the handle of the water bottle to the attach it to, like to the back of their pack. And those things are flopping all around. You real, I'll tell you, when you're a soldier and you're on a mission, you really become conscious of the noise that you make, especially at night when everything is still. Now, some other people will like store water bottles in their bag itself. Um, there are even some of like new filter bottles that are out there that are, you know, they look pretty good. You pour the water in, it automatically goes through a filter and you've got them or, or you're drinking out of it and it's drinking through the filter. But I don't, I don't carry any of those with me either. Um, in fact, I like to keep my hands free for mobility purposes for a lot of reasons, like even for self-defense purposes if I need to. But I like to keep my hands as free as possible. Now, there are way better ways to do this. In fact, it was a 100-mile road march that, I have to say, I got a little clever. Got a little clever. 100-mile road march, especially if you're, if you're doing a road march in the military, like there, de- there are designated stopping points and you have to take advantage of those. But along the way, if you are thirsty, you have to, you have to like somehow juggle your, your weapon. You have to get to your canteen. You've got to like open it up. You've got to, you've got to drink from it. You're, you're, you're holding your, your AR underneath your, underneath your armpit. I mean, it's just, you're, you're just, it's just a juggling act. We're back in the circus now. So I had this kind of cool idea. I had noticed that the medics um, on one of these had like this large water bladder. It had to, I think it was about a, a gallon and a half. I'm not sure how big it was, but it was pretty damn big. And so I got that water bladder after one of the most grueling road marches that we had. And before we went out on the next one, which was a hundred mile road march, um, I got a, I got one of those water bladders from the medic and I got some medic, uh, IV tubing from him and I went to the, uh, to the hardware store and I got some epoxy. And what I did was I made a hole in the bottom of that bladder and I put the tubing in and then put that epoxy all around it and let it dry, created a, an airtight bond right there. And then when we went on our road march, I stuck that thing inside of my backpack filled with water and the tubing just came out right along my, the, the shoulder strap of my backpack. And anytime I needed a drink, I had a little, I had a little clamp on it and I would just unclamp it and drink out of the back. I got to tell you, 
I was the envy of the entire company. <laughs> and here's the thing. Let me ask you, have you ever had an idea for an invention, but you didn't do anything with it at all? And then like years later, you all of a sudden see like some infomercial for it, or you see it in a catalog, or you see it on the shelves, and then you're kicking yourself for not becoming like the gazillionaire that you were supposed to be for being the first person to invent it. I swear that whoever invented the Camelback has got to be one of my team members. Must have seen that. And I've been kicking myself ever since that I didn't commercialize that damn thing and just get it out there myself. Anyway, now you know, I'm the inventor of the Camelback. All right, well, this about wraps things up. Uh, except for one, there's one loose end to this story here. Costello. Costello went AWOL from the army about six months after that first road march there. And the last last thing I heard, he was uh, I heard he was up in Alaska shacking up with uh, with a stripper in Alaska. That, that kind of sounds about right for Costello. I don't know if they ever hauled him hauled him back in to pay for his his abandoning his obligation to the uh, to the government. Don't really care, but it is still a story that my army buddies and I laugh about to this day. Now, let me hear from you. Go ahead and make sure that you hit me up on the blog over at warriorlifepodcast.com and let me know what common gear that you think doesn't deserve a spot in people's bug out bags that you've seen. And if you're thinking about it, maybe leave a little swap out recommendation there as well. And if you've invented something <laughs> that you didn't do anything with, but you saw that thing pop up years later, I want to hear about that too. Go ahead and leave that in the comments over on the blog over at warriorlifepodcast.com. Just go down to the comments section there. Can't wait to see what you've got for us. All right. Also, don't forget to check out the YouTubes over at youtube.com slash warrior to check out our channel there. We release a, a new video there every now and then. It's been a little bit of a while, but we're getting ready, getting ready to get back out on the thing there. So make sure that you subscribe to it. We are going to get some, uh, some other videos coming out there. And until our next Warrior Life podcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying prepare, train, and survive. You've been listening to the Warrior Life Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us spread the mission of self-reliance and self-protection when you rate us. And leave us a comment wherever you enjoy these podcasts. And don't forget to check out our posts and videos on our social media channels. You'll see a full directory when you visit our website at www.warriorlife.com. We'll see you next time. This has been the Warrior Life Podcast. Prepare. Train. Survive.